0: Well, good morning, Journey Church. How are we doing today? Good. All right. Hey, great to be with you. Uh, we are finishing our series this week, and so we've been talking about just the tough questions of faith and trying to... Be a safe place to ask questions. And last week, Ryan McGee, our Journey Team Director, did a fantastic job of just asking the question, why might God not answer our prayers? So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I highly recommend find, find the podcast, find it on YouTube. Uh, d- did a great job. We were in our staff meeting this week, and Alyssa, his wife, is on staff with us uh, as well. And so staff meeting, we are just talking about what a great job Ryan did. And she goes, yeah, I told him afterwards, she goes, Goes, Honey, that was better than I thought it would be. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> so I don't know how to take that, right? Um, so it was really funny. That reminds me of a story. So we're going to use a story. We're going to talk about some history. It's like some church history, if that's okay. So buckle up for that one. But this story connects with that. And it also sets up our week perfectly this week. So we're going to talk about some... Uh, evangelists in the 1800s. So some church guys that were just out there preaching, doing an amazing job on each side of the Atlantic Ocean. So in the UK, there was a pastor by the name of Henry Morehouse, and he was preaching all over England, just doing an amazing job, big revivals, lots of people coming to faith. In the US, one of the main uh, evangelists in the US is a guy named Dwight L. Moody, or D.L. D. Moody. Uh, had a church in Chicago, so preached a lot of places, which is really important in faith spreading uh, in in America in that time period. Well, D.L. Moody actually went overseas, and he went to Dublin in 1867. He actually met Henry Morehouse. Uh, Henry Morehouse was called the the boyish preacher because he just had a baby face, and he couldn't do anything about it, but, you know, that's just what he looked like. And so they have this exchange, and D.L. Moody's kind of like, hey, if you're ever in America, uh, l- let me know. Uh, and it kind of makes this offer of you could come preach in my church sometime. Well, Morehouse latched onto that, probably a little too much. And he's like, What boat are you going back to America on? Like, I'll, I'll go with you. And uh, he doesn't go then, but when he arrives in America, he sends a letter. To Moody in Chicago and says, "Hey, I- I'm in America. Just wanted to let you know that I'm here." So Moody writes him back and oh, that's, that's great, good for you. Kind of like pat him on the head. Uh, if you're ever in Chicago, look me up right It's still a long ways from New York to Chicago. It's not, it's not easy. and so kind of blows him off a little bit. Hey have you ever find yourself in Chicago? Okay, cool. Well, then he gets another letter. He's in Chicago. Hey, if you need someone to preach at your church, I'm here. And so I think Moody just didn't really know what to do with this guy. And so eventually he was going to be out of town. And they have this Thursday night event. Hey, let, let this guy come and teach on on this Thursday night thing. So Moody goes out of town, Morehouse preaches. He does Thursday night. They do another event on Friday night. They have another revival then. He comes back on Saturday, talks to his wife, and Moody is asking his wife, how how was the Englishman? How did did he do? She goes, I I, I liked his preaching very much. He's very different from you. He backs up everything he says with the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeesh. (laughs) <laughs> but, but then she goes on to explain that he, he tells the worst of sinners that God loves them and how he traces this love of God, this radical love of God, all through Scripture. And so Moody hears him on Saturday night. So it's the third night in a row he's preached at Moody's church And Moody, in his autobiography, credits Henry Morehouse as having the most profound impact on him than any other preacher, because it was then that he understood the love of God and how that needed to be the thing that was on the forefront. That needed to be the central part of every message. Morehouse ended up doing seven nights in a row, preaching a revival at his church, and every single night... He started with the same passage. He told people to open up their Bibles to the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16, and that was their text. Every single night, he took one verse, and then he used that verse to trace throughout Scripture how God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For seven nights, that verse over and over and over again, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This morning, I ask you the question, do you believe that? Like, do you really believe that? For me, sometimes it's easier to take that phrase, for God so loved the world, and make it this Big idea. Well, God loves everyone. Yeah, the the whole world. But it's harder to have the audacity to apply that verse to you and your life and to make it personal. That God loved you so much. That God loved you so much that He gave His one and only Son for you to save you. Can we make this personal today? we ask the question do you ever wonder why do you ever wonder why god would love me do you ever wonder why god would love me why would god love not only the world so much but you personally see for me where my mind goes is that i need to do something to earn it i need to do something to prove it if i if i'm good enough or if i do these good things over here enough then then maybe I'll be worthy of that love. Or maybe I need to manage my sin a little better over here. If I do a few less bad things, now it kind of makes sense that God could actually love me, that I might be able to earn God's love or be worthy of this love. Uh, Hopefully you've seen this movie by now. Uh, There's spoiler alerts coming, but you should have seen the movie Saving Private Ryan by now. And I hope it's in your top 10 movies of all time because it's that good. All right. Thank you. So there is a scene at the very end of this. The whole premise is there is a guy, Private Ryan, who all of his brothers have passed away in battle. He is the one surviving family member left in his family. And so This small group of soldiers are tasked with going and finding him after D-Day in Normandy, behind enemy lines, and find this Private Ryan to be able to bring him home. All kinds of sacrifices ensue, all types of battles. And and Tom Hanks' character pulls Matt Damon's character in, Private Ryan. And and at the very end, he, he says these words, earn this earn this. Earn the sacrifices that were made to find him and to protect him and send him home to be with his family. Earn this. And you see at the end of this movie as a, as a grown old man that's struggling with that of tell me that I've been a good man. Tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me that I've done enough to earn the sacrifice that was made for me. Tell me that I'm worth it. Tell me this is good enough. Is that how you think of God's love? Is is that what you think that your worth, that your value comes from what you do? Well, this morning I want to make sure that you know that regardless of what you do, regardless of what you do, you are loved. You are valued by God. In fact, you are valuable. Ephesians two ten tells us for we are God's handiwork we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do you are God's handiwork you are his workmanship we don't often talk about uh, Greek words and kind of get nerdy with the original language and how this is written but this is a good one here the word is poimia the word used here you are God's poimia that which is made that which is created We get the our word poem here, and you see this. A poem just doesn't happen, does it? There is thought that goes into a poem. There is um, this careful crafting of the phrases and the stanzas and, and the rhyming and the rhythm to be able to create a poem. It's a masterpiece. It's this work of art. Have you ever had the chance to meet an artist? maybe you're in a gallery or something and you're looking and you actually get to meet the person that that made the art. Or maybe you've listened to a podcast and you've listened to a, an artist describe their new album that's coming out or, or, or why they did what they did. There's this sense of pride that an artist has as they talk about their work. There's this sense of admiration that they have for what they have created, the, the thought process, the intentionality that goes into it. It's a work of art. It's valuable. There's a phrase in the South. I, I'm from Oklahoma. I don't know if it's the South. Sometimes it is. It's Midwest, <laughs> Mid-South. It's not quite Southwest. It's weird. But there's this phrase, you maybe heard it before, um, God don't make junk. You ever heard that? God don't make junk, all right? Or if you get like really Southern or you're in like a small town, they might say, God don't make no junk, all right? We just (laughs) mess it all up there. (laughs) But what have you picked up on over the years? What have you picked up on that maybe, maybe you start to believe that lie. Maybe you aren't worthy. Maybe start to believe that, that you aren't special. What are the things that run through your head? Maybe something from a, a boss or a teacher or a coach, someone in authority over you that, that maybe had a, a phrase that just sticks with you, like, oh, don't go into this field because you'll, you'll never make it. Or, or we need our best people on this task. We're, we're gonna ask them to do it. Or We need someone more seasoned to, to handle this. You might have this phrase that plays around in your head That anything, something bad happens, that this memory comes back and it attacks your self-worth. It makes you feel like you're not valued. maybe it's a relationship that you learned over the years that you need to dress a certain way to gain attention of someone. Or if you want the affection of someone, these are the things that you need to do. Or these are the lines that you need to cross or else they won't like you. You need to act like this, or you're not gonna have a shot. You need to put up a wall and put a face on and not really let people see what's inside of you. Maybe it's the voice of of a parent when you were little that you hear these words of criticism that come back in anything that you do, you hear that parent's voice You come with a a grade, you you got a a 95% and the statement wasn't, oh my gosh, great job, I'm so proud of you. The, The question was, what did you miss? What did you get wrong? Why didn't you do better? Maybe in your family, your sibling is the successful one. Maybe they're the smart one. Or it's implied that they're the pretty one. And these truckloads of comments over the years just reaffirm in your mind that you lack value. But can your value, can your self-worth be built on something different? Instead of replaying the mistakes that you've made, instead of replaying the people that you've hurt that lead you to feel unworthy, here is God calling you a piece of art a carefully crafted thing of beauty, full of pride as he looks upon you and as he talks about you, that you are this precious commodity, that you are valuable. This morning I, I want to implore you that you are valuable. Why does God love you? He asked that question, why would God love me? Clear and simple, because you are valuable. As we look at self-worth and as we look at that value, maybe this isn't something that you struggle with. And, and that's fine. Maybe you're like, no, I, I know God loves me and I know that those past things, that, that's not real. I find my worth, I find my truth, I find my self-worth in what Jesus says about me. And if so, praise God, right? That's amazing. Here's the deal. Uh, other people won't have that same mindset. There are plenty of people that you will interact with that, that can't rationalize and, and don't have that same mindset that you have. So maybe this message is for you, but maybe this message is for someone else and that you can be equipped with these, these phrases, you can be equipped with some of these verses as you walk with someone, as you mentor them, as you disciple them, that you can impart this type of wisdom. Your value, first and foremost, is found in who made you. All right, your values found in who made you. H- have you ever bought a knockoff before? Uh, you got some bad stories, huh? Yeah, you're trying to save some money, I get it. Like my, my kids know that they're not gonna get the name brand cereal. Like dad's buying the cereal in the bag, all right? And that's fine, that's fine, right? You never poisoned anyone. Um, for me, like I love Nutella but I don't know if I could go with <laughs> Nutmaster. Master. <laughs> Nutella's delicious, I'm not sure about that, okay? Or, you know, there's some knockoffs like, I can't believe it's not butter, okay, that's cool, but I really want to know that it tastes like butter. <laughs> I think it tastes like butter, that doesn't quite do it for me, all right? Um, you know Uggs have had a really nice run and they've, they've been around for a long time, but maybe you went cheap and you got the, not Uggs, you got Ugg, UGH, <laughs> U- UGH, that's it. <laughs> sounds sounds very similar, I think has a different connotation. Um, you know, toothpaste is very personal, right? Personally, I'm a Crest guy, I will fight you on that. I don't wanna brush my teeth with this one. I, I Can't I can't do that. I'm not going with that knockoff. It's not gonna happen. All right. I don't really know what Dave smells like That's that's a brand. I'm not gonna go after I don't I don't think I want to smell like Dave Dave's great. I think I don't know um, Now this next one though Evelyn is a genius She set up shop and like she's doing it right that's how you do a knockoff right there. That looks like a great establishment. Way better than anything else around it. That's a place that I would shop if I needed to. So, yeah. So, good, good job, Evelyn. Yeah. Um, I'm going to show you another picture here. Uh, does anybody know who this is? Anybody know one of those characters? Oh, I think I heard it. Who? James Taylor. All right. We got musicians over here. All right, James Taylor, right? Uh, Anybody, can they name the other person in this picture? All right, his name is also James. It's James Olson of Olsen guitars. Uh, so musicians such as Phil Keggy and Zach Brown and Sting and Paul McCartney and Kent, Clint Black, uh, lots, of, lots of big names, have and use Olsen guitars when they play. Uh, you too can have one of these custom guitars uh, for a set price of $15,000 you can get a customized guitar made just for you to your likings and specifications it will take nine months okay Uh, there's a nine-month waiting list Uh, james olson only makes 30 guitars a year but there is an attention to detail there is a sense of craftsmanship in this guitar that o on the headstock it means something you know that that guitar is valuable when you see it because of who made it. Who made it is part of what makes it so valuable. Uh, Part of our application last week was to read a section in Psalm 139. We're going to read some of Psalm 139 in a different part today. But as we read this, I want you to get a sense of how Big God is. I want you to get a sense of how involved in your life he really is. Get a sense of how, how connected he is, all right? This is Psalm 139, and it says in verse 1, "'You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways.' Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And then this psalm gets specific here, all right? God is not just present everywhere. He, he's personal. So listen to these words of how intimately God knows you and this attention to detail that he has spent on you. You need to know that you are created by God. I hope you know this morning that you are not an accident. You are not some cheap knockoff. You are worth more than a custom-made guitar. You are created by God, the maker of heaven and earth. So where does your value come from? Your value comes from the fact that God is the one who made you. God made you. Your value is also found in the uniqueness of you. Your value is found because God made you, but it's also found because you are unique. We talk a lot about this with inflation right now. We talk about supply and demand. So this is the supply side of things. There is only one you, right? Um, there may be other people that have your same birth date. There may be other people that have your same hair color or eye color. Someone might even have your same name. I met a Daniel Roach at the Apple store one time in Oklahoma City, and I thought it was really cool, and he didn't. (laughs) And I was like, wow, the other Daniel Roach is kind of a jerk. I'm I'm sure there's a lot out there. I'm sure they're not all jerks, but I wasn't impressed with the one that I met. And I've never met someone with my exact name. It was kind of sad. And it ruined my day a little bit. But here's the deal. That doesn't matter. Like, I am am unique. I, I am a one of a kind. And you are a one of a kind as well. Your value is found in the uniqueness of you. Um, In order to prove this point, I want you to, I want you to do some thinking, put your thinking hat on. I want you to picture your bedroom when you were a kid growing up. Can you do that for me? Okay? I want you to think about your room, what all's around, you know, stuff on the wall. I want you to think about your bed. What's on your bed? Is there anything special on your bed? You might know where I'm headed with this, all right? As we get there, I want to tell you a story. Uh, my wife and I were missionaries in France for a couple of years, and uh, we sent our son, our oldest, Cohen, he went to full-time French school. And so I remember the very first day that we drop him off at school, and then later that afternoon, I get a phone call. And, and I know it's from the school, um, but talking on the phone when you're learning a language is really hard. There's no visual contact clues, I can't lip read, I can't, I, don't, I have no idea of what's going All I get is the words that are, that are coming at me and it's coming really fast And so I pick up on a few different words as the director is, is calling me with, with this I hear the word, I hear the word lecole, like okay school, got that I hear the word problem, okay there's a problem I hear the word cohen Okay, this is, we've got a problem at school with Cohen, cool. And then I hear the word, doo-doo. <laughs> I was like, oh, we've got a big problem. <laughs> Does anybody speak French? Do you know what the word doo-doo means? All right, anyone, any takers? All right, it means a stuffed animal. Oh, that's the problem. <laughs> So everyone's taking their nap at school and they have these cute little bunk beds that they go in this like little dormitory room and everyone's laying down and they have their favorite little stuffy lovey stuffed animal and Cohen doesn't have his and he's in tears and we have to figure out how to manage and and run home and then run up to the school and get him rally monkey because this guy is so important. Rally Monkey is a big deal in our family. We are LA Angels fans and Rally Monkey has been everywhere and he has been an important member of our family. Now for Layton, it was a little different. Layton's is a blanket. Maybe you had a blanket. Maybe your blanket is unique to you. This thing has been through a lot. This is actually called fuzzy, all right, Um, and partly why it's called that is Layton, when he was little, he would he would kind of twirl this, and he would pull off a little piece of the blanket, and he would rub it in his hands until he had this ball of fuzz, fuzzy, right? And he would sleep with this grip tight in his hands, which was fine until he woke up and fuzzy wasn't in his hand anymore, and had a panic of, uh, I can't tell you how many nights we were looking for a little ball of fuzz in his bed. (laughs) Find a new one, okay? There's a whole blanket for you to destroy. Fuzzy. <laughs> Fuzzy's important, all right? Layton will share fuzzy, though, and so he is, he's, he's a giver. Um, he's a lover. Now, for my daughter, this is Foxy, and when I first asked if I could bring Foxy to church, she shot me some dart eyes, and she goes, uh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? Now, this... This is this is important. Foxy is actually a red panda, okay um, but Foxy is important now This is handmade. So there's really only one of these. There's a lot of rally monkeys There's a lot of red pandas that have been made, but there is only one Foxy and she knows this Foxy they have been through things together they know and love each other. There is only one. It's unique. And that's what the Bible says about us. You know, Jesus tells this story about us being sheep. So in this parable, he, he makes himself out to be a shepherd and us to be sheep. And he's like, I need you to know how much the shepherd loves his sheep. Jesus is telling the story, kind of saying, I need you to know how much I love you. If there are 99 sheep, and I know that there's one that's missing, I know my sheep, and the sheep know my voice, I would leave the 99 to go find you. I would leave because I know you, because you're personal, because you're important to me. And he would go and he would find that one sheep to bring it back into the fold. That's how much Jesus tells the story that he loves us into that degree. John, the writer of our Gospel of John and some of the other epistles in, in the New Testament, he picks up on this theme. And when he writes himself into the story, it would make sense for John as he's writing and talking about Jesus to write in a third person way, right? You know, Jesus told the disciple John to go and do this, right? That would make sense for him to write about himself that way. It would make sense even for him to write in a first person way. Way uh, Jesus told me to go and do this. All right? Like we, we know who's writing it. We know this is John. It would make sense for him to insert himself in the story and use me as he's telling this. It's not what he does. When John writes his gospel, any time that he refers to himself in the story, he says the one that Jesus loves. His identity was so wrapped up in this, that as he described himself, it's like he's going, you need to know this. I am the one that Jesus loves. And I don't think he's doing that in a prideful way. I don't think that he's trying to brag and say that he was special than anyone else. I think he was doing it of, I want you to know Jesus' love this closely, this intimately this passionately, that you would refer to yourself as the one who Jesus loves. You are valuable because God made you, but you're valuable because you are unique. So if that's on the supply side of things, let's talk about the demand side of things. We know that supply and demand is what determines cost. So what's the demand for us? Two years ago, it was uh, toilet paper, right? Remember that? And people were... Behaving badly over toilet paper uh, right now—it's uh, gasoline and it's baby formula, right? Uh, what's the demand for us? What's the price that has been paid for us? You see where I'm going here. What's the price that has been paid for you? First Corinthians six, nineteen and twenty says, "You are not your own; you were bought for a price." Do you think about yourself like that? You have been bought for a price. First John 4 says, God, God is love. This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us in our sin. We had this problem of sin. We have this thing that is this barrier between us and God, our our brokenness that we can't fix on our own. But Jesus was perfect. He had the power over death, and he can offer the atonement and the forgiveness that we need. Jesus can forgive us if we accept his offer of grace. But here's, here's the crazy part. This is absolutely bonkers, God's plan doesn't make sense in this way. Jesus had no guarantee that his plan would work. Have you ever thought about that? There's no guarantee that we were going to respond and that we were going to love Jesus back after he sacrificed himself and made a way. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still separated from God, while we were still living in darkness, while we were still broken, while we were still separated and an enemy of God, messing up, doing bad things, that's when Jesus died for us. Now, if it's me, I want some down payment. I want some guarantee that if I go through with this plan, I want to make sure that this is going to work. I want to hedge my bets a little bit and make sure that if I'm going to sacrifice myself, that some people are going to respond like can we take a straw poll or can we have a show of hands of hey you're you're going to be obedient or you're actually going to tell people about me you're going to baptize other people and this is going to continue beyond just this group of of 12 disciples I want to make sure that this movement's going somewhere if it's me before I go through with this plan that's not what God does while we were still sinners That's when God died for us. I want to make sure that there's going to be a church someday in Springfield, Virginia, that's still preaching my name before I go through with this. Jesus doesn't do that. While we were still sinners, he died for us. He made a way. But it's up to us to accept it. today i do i want to give you that chance if you have never accepted jesus before you have you have a chance to do that today you could get baptized today if this clicks with you and 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 finally makes sense we can we can do that after service we can we can baptize you today that's your first action step maybe for some of you you you've done that before, you've been baptized, you've made that decision, Uh, I'm gonna invite you to take communion with us. I know we do this every week, but this is your chance to connect with what Jesus did, to connect with this sacrifice that he made for us. The last thing I want to offer you, the last action step is, I'd like for you to write a name down. I'd like for you to write one name down. You can do it in your phone. Uh, You can do it on a piece of paper if you have a pen and paper. I want you to write a name down. One, maybe that they need to hear this. That they need to understand their value as being of who God made them and that they are unique to God and that God paid a price for them. Maybe there's one person that you're praying for that you want to experience that. let's pray for them this week. Maybe you write the name down of someone that your heart needs to remember that God made them, that they are unique, that God paid a price for them. And maybe as you pray about this person and God starts to change your heart, as you recognize that God loves them and that they have value.